reading of God's word, we are going to be springboarding from James chapter 4. James chapter 4, let's read verses 13 to 17, James chapter 4. Open those apps. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Verse 15, chapter four. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him... It is sin. Let's pray. Father, we echo, we echo the words that we shared this morning that you have permission, Father, to do whatever you need to do to stamp eternity on our eyelids. We sanctify this room in the name of Jesus Christ. We, we cry out, we pray for a holy work to be accomplished. As the great physician, we ask that you perform surgery upon us, that we would not leave this place the same as we are right now. And regardless of why we've come, we are here. And we are within earshot of what you have to say. So we all say yes. Yes, 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 a million times yes. Now tell us what you would have us to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. On July 30th, 1967, Johnny Erickson Tata, a great author and artist, dove headfirst into the Chesapeake Bay after misjudging the shallowness of the water. And as a result of the dive, she became a quadriplegic and was unable to move from her shoulders down. She said these words. We are pilgrims walking the tightrope between earth and heaven, feeling trapped in time yet with eternity beating in our hearts. Our unsatisfied sense of exile is not to be solved or fixed While we are here on earth, our pain and our longings make sure we will never be content, but that's good. It is to our benefit that we do not grow comfortable in a world destined for decay. If I knew that I was gonna die tonight, what would I share with my kids? What is the message that I would share with my kids? If I knew I was gonna die tomorrow morning, what would I share with them tomorrow afternoon? 
right? If I knew I was going to die right before I talked, right after I talked to them, what would I share? What is the message? And, and this, this message is that message. This is the message. This is 28 years I got saved at the Harvest Crusade. The first ever Harvest Crusade I was saved. The very first person to walk forward at the Harvest Crusade was me. Not one of the person walked forward. I misunderstood the message and I jumped the gun. Greg Laurie looked down at me and he said, grab a seat, son, or I'm not done sharing. And he went on to talk for another 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> Two weeks ago, my wife and kids and I, we went to a memorial service for a family friend. It was a military funeral and after the service, my kids had asked, hey, is it okay if we go and read the different tombstones, the epitaphs? And I thought it was a great idea. You know, Dia Moody said, be often at where men die. It has a way of stamping eternity on your eyelids, right? And my kids are looking at that and they're trying to find the oldest person that had died inside the cemetery. And, and it reminded me back to when I was at a cemetery in Eureka, California. I couldn't make out the name. It was an, it was an older tombstone. It just, some dirt and some stuff had just kind of rotted on there that I don't even think I remember seeing a name on there. But there were, there were some numbers, <clears throat> some numbers that were on that tombstone and it, and it took me back. I was, I was brought to the place of tears, quite literally. The numbers that were on the tombstone were 03201972. Never forget it. The day this guy died, March 20th, 1972, and that was the day that I was born. And I thought to myself, does anybody have any idea who this guy, who this guy was? What's the legacy that he's going to leave behind? Is there anybody alive that knows about this man or this woman? The moment this guy took his last breath, I took my first. And there's gonna come a time where people are gonna take their breaths when I take my last. And there's gonna be a legacy that I'm gonna leave and that you're going to leave. And you will be known by some and there'll be a day where you'll be forgotten by all except Christ. And 100 years from now, when the cold wind is whistling over your tombstone or the warm sun is settling down upon it, there really is only one thing that's going to matter, and that is Jesus Christ. What did you do with this one who defeated death? So this is the message. You see, life is fragile, time is fast. Yesterday I was two, today I'm 46. It is that quick. And every time our heart beats, it is the drumbeat of our own funeral march. We all have an appointment with death. It's gonna come knocking at an inopportune time for every one of us. And it's a door that you will answer. Nobody can answer it for you. What did you do with Jesus Christ? Well, knowing that your life is a vapor is different than just living. Things here are passing away. And oh, to instill inside of our kids and inside of each other that life is fragile to be handled with care. Oh, to but to live 
a righteous life before Christ. See, you will exist forever, forever and ever and ever. You will exist forever, either as friends on God's terms or as enemies on your terms. And which is to be decided is to be decided during this trek called life. What are you going to do? We're all standing in line waiting to die. As a father, if I knew that this was my last message to share with my kids, I would say life is short, eternity is long. Live like it, pick up the pace. I write it in every card that I give to my kids, whether it's a Christmas card or Canada's National Boxing Day. I tell my kids to pick up the pace and they're all doing pretty well. I love my four kids and then there's the fifth. (laughs) I love them. I love them and I plead with them. Scripture encourages us to number our days in our youth. In other words, this means in light of your death, are you making sure your days count? Redeeming the time for the days are evil. Let no one despise you in your youth. In other words, don't give them a reason to despise you in your youth. Just because you're young doesn't mean you need to be immature. We are to be as children to enter the kingdom of God. As a father, I would look my kids in the eyes and I would tell them that one day those eyes will close and you'll be seen in full color someday. Pause, listen to your heartbeat. It is the drumbeat of your own funeral march. I'd remind them of the words of John Piper who said, your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price and what lies before you is a stewardship from the owner for the owner. And on that day when you pass from time on into eternity, only one thing is going to matter. What did you do with Jesus Christ who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords? While you sleep, the enemy is planning how to make you fall, make it your aim to study Christ and him crucified. While you're resting, the enemy is scheming. Now, the Lord doesn't rest. He doesn't blink. He'd be taking his eyes off of you if he blinked. He doesn't know how to blink. God is always on his throne. We will soon be gone from this place. And there's gonna come a day where you'll join me in eternity. There'll be those who will tread where you now walk. What are you gonna set as an example, a pattern for those who will come after you to follow? I'll tell my kids that during their journey down here, they're gonna mess up. My kids, your kids should know that you're the biggest sinner in the house. You're the biggest blow it, you're the biggest wretch, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, has changed and transformed as we're continually being conformed to the greatest words inside the Bible are but God. When you put the word but before the word God, miracle ensues, right? There's craziness happening. Then all of a sudden, you put these two words together, but God, now miracle happens. It's the only thing that God can do is things that are miraculous. Job says you only do miraculous things. You only do wondrous works. As you look at your life, maybe your back is up against the wall. Maybe there's only a red sea in front of you. You throw those two words, but God, 
well, then you can step out of the boat. It doesn't matter how tumultuous the storm is when your eyes are on the Lord. It doesn't matter how raging the sea is when your eyes are on God. But more than your eyes being on God, God's eyes are on you. That even when you're faithless, he's faithful and he's not gonna make, he's gonna make sure that his, his word does not return void. When Jesus was talking to Peter by Caesarea, by the sea, by that great aqueduct, Peter's talking to Jesus and Jesus is talking to Peter and Jesus says, are you gonna leave also? And Peter said, where am I gonna go, Lord? You alone hold the words to eternal life. I would remind my kids you're gonna blow it and when you blow it, that doesn't mean you leave and go back to Egypt. When you sin, you must remember that you have a great savior. Your redeemer is bigger than your past. Where are you gonna go? You blew it? Echo the words of Pastor Chuck. Pastor Chuck would say when he'd blow it, he'd lift his eyes, his eyes to the hills and he'd say, Lord, I blew it, but you're greater than my blow-its. Bless me so that I might be a blessing to others. And only a person who's looked into the eyes of a sovereign God who realizes it's not about himself can pray such a prayer. That we might be a blessing to other people. That's why we are blessed. Well, there are six things, six things that I would share with my kids. If I knew I was going to die tomorrow, what would I share with them here today? Number one, the first thing that I would share is it's not about you. It's not about you. You do not need to be in control. Why? Because God is. Romans 8, 28, we highlight it, we underline it, and sometimes we close it and we put it back on the shelf. But how many of us claim it? That all things work together for good. Not some, not most, not many, all, all, A-L-L. And in the Greek, that's a beautiful word, it means all. <laughs> all things work together for our good. And if we were to take that to its logical conclusion, I think we can rightfully say, that there's no such thing as bad news. That all bad news is a stepping stone to get us in the right direction. Your spouse has committed adultery. Your child is wayward. Your finances have been taken away. Your job says, I need you to work more hours and you're gonna have less pay. You've been given cancer, you don't waste it. For there's no such thing as bad news for the Christian because all things are working together for good. Therefore, only the Christian can look at the storm and mock it, can laugh at it, not be moved. I was sharing with a professor friend of mine at Biola University, and he says, hey, there are some standards that are being placed upon us in California, some things that we must now teach and teach in a certain way. I'm a little stressed out about it. I said, listen, my friend, you're allowed to stress today as much as God is stressing today. You're allowed to pace back and forth as much as God is pacing back and forth. You're allowed to worry as much as God is worrying today. He doesn't waste any moment. Even suffering serves our sovereign God. Even laws put in place by corrupt judges that overrule the, the rule of the people, the decisions of the people are subservient to God. Everything serves God. 
Your suffering serves God. Corey Ten Boom said, there is no panic in heaven, just plans. <laughs> he doesn't know how to pace back and forth. And perhaps single-handedly, the greatest quote I've ever heard outside of scripture is this one by John Sale. If I had the power of God, there are many things I would change. But if I had the wisdom of God, I wouldn't change a thing. Oh, if I could hit that lottery and get $1.6 billion, $150 after taxes. <laughs> if I could get that money, oh, the lives that would change. Not to realize that God loves you too much to burden you with riches. Don't give me too much that I forget you, Lord. Don't give me too little that I curse your name. Today is all I need. I'm not gonna worry about tomorrow for you're already there. Today's enough and you're gonna take care of my every need. For I shall supply all of your riches, all of your needs, right? All of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. If you need it, you're gonna have it. You don't need to worry. Let somebody else pace back and forth. Where's rent gonna come from? Heaven. It's due right now. Then he's gonna come right now. I'm not worried about it. We don't need to worry about our lives. What we'll eat, where we'll sleep, what we'll wear, the roof of our head. Consider the lilies of the field and the doves of the air. Your heavenly father takes care of them. I would remind my kids that things are not falling apart. They're falling into place. And I don't know what's going on inside your life, but I can confidently say as a child of God, things are not falling apart. They're falling into place. In order for God to receive the greatest amount of glory due to his name and for you to receive the greatest good in order to walk in the work which he's prepared beforehand. If I were to talk to my kids about devotions, do we do morning, do we do evening? I say yes, devotions. We're just devoted, we walk with God. And the rising up and the sitting down, every erected billboard is an opportunity to talk to my kids. Every commercial, every knock on the door, every telemarketer that calls is an opportunity for God to shine. Don't waste your life. That's not about your devotion to God, it's about God being devoted to his own name. And because of his own covenant, he's going to make sure that he receives the greatest amount of glory. Enjoy the ride. When I attended Calvary Chapel Bible College back in 94, my pastor there, Larry Taylor, the dean of students, he said, don't you wanna be a token in the hand of God ready to be spent everywhere you go? Don't you wanna ride on the wave no matter how tumultuous it is? Don't you wanna be a tool in the master carpenter's hand ready to be used at his disposal? And everything within me says yes. Call heaven and hell as a witness Say, Lord, whatever you need to do, worthy is the lamb to receive the reward of his suffering. If you need to take away my eyesight, my kids, my wife, my time, my talent, my treasure, it's not mine. It's not mine and it's not yours. You're on borrowed time. From the moment you were born, you begin to die. You're created for life after this life and we're homesick for a home we've never been to. Don't allow your roots to go down deep here. 
Why do I get in the word early in the morning? Because I know I'm gonna be lied to the rest of the day. The enemy is crafty, he is sneaky. I would remind my kids of Psalm chapter one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Whatever he does shall prosper. If you don't meditate on God's word, then you will believe that lies are truth. You wanna be wise, read God's word. You wanna know how to respond in your circumstance, read God's word. You wanna know what to believe, read God's word. You wanna know what the future holds, read God's word. You wanna make sense of life, read God's word. And you wanna withstand temptation, read God's word. If you want knowledge, go to school. But if you want wisdom, you get on your knees. And he gives to all liberally, freely, without reproach. Whosoever will, let him come. If I had the power of God, there are many things I would change, but if I had the wisdom of God, I would not change a thing. Things are not falling apart, church. They're falling into place. Point number two, God knows. What does he know? Yes. He knows. He knows what you're going through. I like what scripture says in Psalm 139. He has searched me, he has known me, he knows my sitting down and he knows my rising up. He understands my far off and strange thoughts. It's not just the fact that he's afar off, but my thoughts at times seem to be afar off and they seem to be strange and God speaks the language and he understands. He knows what I'm going through. He knows the muck and the mire and he deciphers and he cuts and he divides. And he says, I know what you're doing. I know what you're going through. I know what your intentions are. I know why you're talking to her at work. I know why you fellowship with those groups of people. I know why you took that track down that road. I know why you're gazing long into that window. I know why you are on the internet right now. I know. I know. He knows us personally, physically, and prophetically. He knows in verse two where it says that he knows you. It's the same crazy word that Adam knew his wife, Eve. It speaks of intimacy. That God really knows you and he cannot know you any better. He knew what your name was going to be when your parents were deciding between half a dozen names. He knew your end from the beginning. And in his book, all of your days were written before there was yet one of them. He knows. He knows you personally. As a father, I would tell my kids if I knew I was going to die, I would say he has pre-appointed the place and the timing of your habitation. He made you in secret. He painted as a master artist every freckle and every mole and strategically placed every hair and has a name for every hair because he has the hair on your head numbered. He knows all about you, not just your rising up and sitting down, but it's as if you were the only one and the only work of art he's ever created. 
That's how intimately familiar he is with you. Therefore, since God knows you intimately, you can confidently cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. As a father, I would tell my kids, you cannot disappoint God because he's already anticipating it. He knows your birth date and your death date. He sees your last day just as he saw you on your first day. And he's infinitely patient with you because he sees you as a finished work of art. And every trial you're going through is a pain of his brush on your life. Every bad news, there's a hidden smile of God above the dark cloud in your life. In other words, God knows you personally, but he also knows you physically. God, why didn't you make me skinny? I did. My wife said, don't share that. I said, ah, ah, it's all right, it's okay. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. It is not my job to raise Christian children. It's my job to model what a Christian is before my children. Salvation belongs to God. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Salvation belongs to him. And as the author of our faith, he's gonna be faithful to complete the work which he started. He doesn't start something without finishing it. As a father, I would tell my kids, you cannot be where God is not. And as you go throughout life, as you get invited to different parties, as you do different things, as you intermingle with different coworkers, God is there. In fact, death cannot remove you from God. Distance cannot separate you from God, and darkness cannot hide you from God. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence, the psalmist said. God knows us all the time, why? Because he knew us before there was time. In other words, God knows us physically. But he also knows us prophetically. He sees the end from the beginning. His knowledge of you is realistic. You don't need to fear tomorrow because he's already there. You're freed up to worship God perfectly because he knows everything anyways. And the Father is seeking after those who will worship him in spirit and in, means you could be honest before him. Lord, I don't feel like drawing near to you. And you could have the same prayer that A.W. Tozer had. Lord, I don't desire you, but I desire to want to desire you. And as of right now, that's all I got. And God sees it and he can meet you where you're at. As only he can, I don't understand that. But sometimes those are our prayers. Faith is simply taking God at his word. Therefore, offer up simple prayers and trust he hears you. Don't just underline and highlight and walk away and close. Place it on side the shelf. But why not dare to take God at his word? Novel idea. What a bummer. All I have left is God. All I can do is trust him. It's in his hands now. It's always been in his hands. We pray, God, take care of my kids in my absence. But I realize that God takes care of them in my absence as well as he takes care of them in my presence. He sees what they're up to right now. He knows where they're at. I would remind my kids to be honest and sincere before God, to write poetry to him, to sing songs that nobody will ever hear to him, to write a letter to God, attach it to a helium balloon and send it off to him 
as an act of worship. Have your walk with God. Take God out for a cup of coffee, order two cups of coffee, throw one right there and just realize that God's with you. Just a physical reminder that God is there. And when you're all done, throw the other second cup inside the trash and say, Lord, thank you for that time. He's a very present help in time of need. He guides us with his eye. We take refuge under the shadow of his wings. Do you realize that God is closer to you than the oxygen is to your lungs or the blood is to your veins? Because he is. He's a very present help in time of need. Things are not falling apart, they're falling into place. In other words, God really knows us prophetically. And why do these points matter? Because he's not surprised when you fail. You will fail because you're frail. And the man who put an eraser at the end of the pencil knew what he was doing. <laughs> and in God's economy, mistakes are called sin. Don't have excuses why you do what you do, just simply repent. God cannot forgive excuses, he can only forgive sins, but you must confess them. I would tell my kids that there are things that are out of your control, but they're never out of his, and the storm might be above your shoulders, but they're always underneath his feet. God is always in control. Hudson Taylor, he said, all of God's giants have been weak men, but they did great things for God because they simply believed that God would be with them. God wants to use your failure. He doesn't wanna waste it. I don't know if you've ever prayed for amnesia. I have. I've wrecked many lives in the wake of this journey called life. Damaged many souls. I thought for many years I was gonna be nothing more than a pretty book placed on the shelf, never to be used, never to be read. There were times when I was driven fully clothed down into the a fetal position in a shower, sucking my thumb as a man, despairing of life, down and out and depressed, saying, God, what is my life? I'm done. I don't need to be here anymore. But I know God's not done. How do I know? I'm still alive which means God's not done with you. You'll know when God is done. <laughs> Morto. You go from time on into eternity, you're dead, that's it. Until then, wipe the dust off and get back in the race. Get back up, don't be surprised when you fail. God doesn't wanna give you amnesia so you forget your past. Rather, he wants to give you a, a renewed heart, a renewed mind with ears to hear him triumphantly whisper in your ear, neither do I condemn you, my friend. Your redeemer is bigger than your past. We mentioned Corey Ten Boom earlier today. Let's mention her again, an amazing woman. She said, our outlook goes beyond this world. And we are in training for eternity. In getting older, one discovers something of the plan behind the happenings of the past. When we look back, we realize that behind many events, which were not important in and of themselves, so we think there was actually a design, an order, a continuity.
The measure of a man is determined on what it takes to stop him. Adrian Rogers says, when God's children begin to realize that they are inhabited by God himself, then they will stop living inhibited. God dwells between your shoulder blades. Does that not just blow your mind? That the very power that rose Jesus from the dead is inside of you through the person of the Holy Spirit. Time is not to be wasted because there's no time to waste. It's almost over. If number one, it's not about you, and number two, God knows, that number three, you're to be faithful with the small things. Because truth be told, there is no such thing as a small thing. That small thing in your life is the biggest thing that God is requiring of you. You be faithful with it. Why? Because the unfaithfulness in all these small things means you will be unfaithful with the big things. We hear about pastors falling into sexual sin all the time and at every pastor's conference. We hear about another pastor that has fallen, another one that has fallen. Every sin is an open spectacle in heaven. Men treat sin like a cream puff. We need to treat it like a rattlesnake. Every private failing is the result of a, every public failing is the result of a thousand private failings. Crave holiness, crave purity, crave integrity and truth in the inward parts. As a father, I would tell my kids, when your eyes are on the Lord, it doesn't matter what's happening outside the boat. Let things rage. Mock the storm. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One with God is always in the majority. And it doesn't matter who's against you if God is for you. And it doesn't matter who is for you if God is against you. What would a prophet a man if he gains this whole world and yet... Therefore, when you fail, just remember you've been forgiven by the only one who can truly condemn you. Therefore, run your race with endurance. Pick up the pace. Don't look back. Don't give up. Don't shut up. Don't let up. It's not an option. When I sat next to this guy on the plane and he was coming back from the Olympics and he was wearing his gold medal for winning his game, We're talking about how he's worked so hard to get to that point. He said, my partner cannot come with me to the games. Pricked my ears. Begin to share the gospel with him. And he said, hey, listen, you have not addressed the elephant in the room. Plane's about ready to land. What are you saying I need to do about my homosexuality? I said, listen, man, I... Seems to me you know what you need to do about your homosexuality. It's the same thing as somebody who's in a heterosexual relationship, who's fornicating outside of marriage. They need to do the same thing that you need to do. He says, you're right, you're right. And when I get back home, 
I'm gonna tell my partner he needs to move out. And if he doesn't, I am. Pause. What? Say what? <laughs> what takes a man from being at the pinnacle of success? There's nobody better than me, baby. I'm the top of the world. To despising that trophy of the world for the cost of the cross. There's not a lonelier place to be than to climb up to the top of a mountain only to realize that there's nobody else there. Or you climb the wrong mountain. My friend, when he became a Navy SEAL and he graduated, and they put that trident on his chest, Chad Williams, said he was weeping inside. For the fulfillment that he thought that it would bring, it never brought. The meaning of life is to know your God and to enjoy him forever. You know what kind of a servant you are when somebody treats you like one, right? Number four, reach out to the lost. My pastor says, hey, if your hand was cut off, it should bleed evangelism. This Wednesday, when these little kiddos come knocking on your door, it's an opportunity to be a light. We don't go to the highways, byways, and the gutterways, so God brings them to us. And we post a sign saying, no trick-or-treaters welcome. I don't celebrate that pagan holiday. I'm not asking you to celebrate the pagan holiday. I'm asking you to share your faith. It's not your faith to be hoarded. It's God's faith to be given. What are the chances of these same people coming to church on a Sunday? To darken the pews in which you now sit. It's not gonna happen. You go to them. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. Come and hear about a man who knows all about me and he loves me anyways. Let me tell you about this one. The only one who can condemn me is the only one who can set me free. Reach out to the lost. Carl Sagan, that great pagan of a man, he said this. When you're in love, you wanna tell the world. Maybe you're not telling the world because maybe you're not in love. Ouch. Look at the salt in the wound, right? Take advantage of every opportunity. When a telemarketer calls, it's an opportunity to share the gospel, a chance to be able to share. Flat, flat tires are not a bummer. Bad service at a restaurant is a blessing, an opportunity to discuss God's grace. You know anybody that has prayed for bad service at a restaurant? <laughs> what an opportunity to talk about God's grace. But yet we're going after the white picket fence life. Nothing wrong with a white picket fence. I mean, I have a beautiful home right by the Richard Nixon Library. Beautiful home, God has blessed me. And I think this could be the year that God takes it away. I thank God for the amount of time that I've had with it. And I thank God for the amount of time I've had with my kids. I was sharing with my wife last night. I said, you realize that we can go home and our kids could be taken home. Our kids can die. Youth is no guarantee of old age. R.A. Torrey said, to win men to the acceptance of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord is the only reason Christians are left in this world. Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, from the pulpit at the Metropolitan Tabernacle said, no pursuit of mortal men is to be compared with that of soul winning. 
Your one business in life is to lead men to believe in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, and everything else should be made subservient to this one objective. Fifthly, quickly, moving along, we're running out of time. We need to pick up the pace. Pick up the pace. Youth is no guarantee of old age. Life is short, eternity is long. Pick up the pace. And just like any race, there are all kinds of distractions. And just like any race that you'll ever enter into, people are rooting for you to fail, to fall, to stumble over that hurdle. But don't let it move you. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We need to put into our practical Christian walk what collegiate and professional athletes put into their training. It's not go hard or go home. It's go hard because we are almost home. We're almost home. That ticket is spread out. We are leaning towards the finish line. We're almost home. As a father, I would tell my kids to step up and get into the batter's box. Step out of the boat and onto the crashing sea. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. I would tell my kids, if you're gonna fail, fail by falling forward. Fail by falling forward. I'm gonna see if this is of you, Lord. I'm still standing. Oh, here we go. You gotta repent. You gotta place your trust in Christ. Step out of the boat, right? You must finish well because it's not an option to take your foot off of the gas. Buckle up, hold on, enjoy the ride, enjoy the journey. My, my son, Ethan, Ethan Elijah, God bless this little boy. This, this kid falls asleep listening to scripture. He wakes up listening to scripture. He goes into the bathroom, he's listening to scripture. He jumps in the shower, he's listening to scripture. It's just in him. Well, he came to me and he said, listen, dad, I, 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 I joined, I, I put my name on a roster to, to run a race. I went, what? I, I, okay, great. I think it was like a mile. And this kid was running and he was winning. And 10 yards from the finish line, he collapses. And he starts throwing up all over himself, just exhausted. I ran down by him and I got down on my knees and I said, son, you better not give up. I said, run, run, get across that finish line. Go, son, go, you can do it. And something I've always said to my kids, you can do it with God's help. You can do it with God's help. I go, go, cross that finish line. And so he did, this army crawl across this finish line, and there's the finish line with his throat on it, and he just, Ugh. and he just, and he, and, he, and he won. And I gave him a hug, right, from a distance. I said, you did it. Some of you are thrown up at the finish line spiritually. Some of you are emotionally drained. Psychologically, you seem like you're just gone. You feel like you just kind of checked out. It's not an option to give up. 
That finish line is right there on the horizon. You need to allow God to be your strength. You have nothing to give. You have a limitless God at your disposal. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. You're weak, perfect. The job before me is impossible, perfect. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. You only have a Red Sea before you. God specializes in the miraculous. Get over yourself. And I say it in love. And I would never slap you with my hand, so I slap you with my words. Get back up. Get back up and finish the race. Sixthly and finally, listen. Don't waste your dash. That little hyphen between the day you were born and the day you're going to die, that little line in between is all you got. That's it. Don't waste your dash. You will not be given another one. That's all you got. That's it. Some of you see that finish line. Some of you won't see that finish line coming. For 150,000 people who will die today, who are planning for tomorrow, never saw that finish line coming. 54 million people every year will die. They'll go from time on into eternity. Their soul will be snatched away from them. How kind is God to give us a message like this? That it's not about you. It's about me. Take your eyes off the man in the mirror. Don't waste your dash. You won't regret it 100 years from now when we're all gone. 200 years from now, 500,000, 10,000 years, you won't regret it. It's not about you. It's about him, Christ in you, the hope of glory. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet he forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Selah. Martin Luther said, God creates out of nothing. Until a man is nothing, God can make nothing out of him. Stop chasing anything other than Christ. John Wesley's mom said, I don't care how spiritual it is in and of itself. If it does not drive you to Christ, then it is sin. Is it a sin to watch this, to do that, to smoke? Listen, let it drive you to Christ. We got some baggage in our lives. We just need to let go. God, I, I can't let go of this. I just, I'm so in love with these things, these people, this job. If I knew I was going to die tomorrow, I would share with my kids today that you are created by God and for, glory, and for God's glory. If you do not see God in his glory, you will be mesmerized by fireworks. If you cannot see the sun, you will be satisfied with flashlights and streetlights. Your life will be filled with shadows and mirages and short-lived pleasures. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And for thousands of years, the sun has risen every single day to make us thirsty for the light behind the light. 
And in the end, God is going to satisfy that thirst with an experience of his own brilliant beauty beyond all description. And as Isaiah says, the sun, the the sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you by night, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of crying shall end. Behold, your God. Your God. This is your God. Don't worry. They're only words. Unless they're true. Father, Father, what do we say to these things? What do we say? to the one who knows all about us and loves us anyways. May we always remember that it is not about us, but it's about Christ. May we always remember it's not about our devotion to you, but your devotion to us and to your great name. Father, may we always remember that we don't need to be in control because you are. You alone, you know. You know it all, God. You know us personally and you know us physically. You know us prophetically. May we never be surprised when we fail. Help us to be faithful with the small things. Help us to reach out to the lost, to pick up the pace, and not to waste our dash. And though we may be throwing up, may we never give up. And it's with great confidence that we know that we have what we've asked as we prayed according to your will. It is our singular desire that you would do whatever it takes to receive the greatest amount of glory due to your name through us. For worthy is the lamb to receive the reward of his sufferings. We don't want this to end, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.